DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm glad you could be with us today. If you are listening to the show in real time, I hope all of you fathers out there had a terrific Father's Day. Uh, Galloway, you got to pick the movie that I your did. family went to see I on did. Father's Day. I did. A real Bill Murray zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of dad's taste. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad you had a good day, <laughs> a good day at that. Uh, all right. We got a lot to talk about on the show today and a really good panel to do it. Um, and I think I should start by saying one of the reasons the show is particularly pertinent and relevant right now is because we are in the middle of Pride Month, a month when uh, there's particular focus on LGBTQ issues, and we're going to talk about them in the state of Georgia, the progress that's been made, the problems that persist, and then take a look at where we stand on the national landscape in terms of the issues that are of uh, particular concern and interest to the uh, LGBTQ community. Uh, With that in mind, we've got Jeff Graham with us. He is the executive director of Georgia Equality, which is the organization... how do you describe, in a couple of sentences, the most important role of Georgia Equality? Yes, we, are, we work for uh, to advance fairness, safety, and opportunity for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender communities throughout the state of Georgia and our allies, uh, very specifically people living with HIV and AIDS. Yeah, and one of the most important roles you put, or I don't know if it's one of the most important, but one of the, the ways that we have interacted over the years is that you have always been... Uh, an individual, part of an organization that really talks to legislators about various issues down at the state capitol. And Jim, I think it's fair to say that one of the things about Jeff Graham's tenure, 11-year tenure now at uh, at uh, Georgia Equality, is uh, he really knows how to talk to legislators in a way that they get him. In other words... He's not a rabble rouser in in the biggest uh, sense of the word. Oh no, no, and we can we can be we can talk about a couple of examples of 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 that that happened this 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 session. All right, that's great. We will we'll get to that. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, a law, a law across the table from Jim and Jeff, Representative Park Cannon is with us. You are a state rep from. You represent Atlanta. I represent the heart of Atlanta in Pride Month, which is the 10th and Piedmont Rainbow Crosswalk. You're, oh, that's right. That is right. So you go all the way down. You're like along Lakewood Freeway, I think, a part of your district. That's right. That's and then right. comes all the way up to Midtown. We are looking forward to redistricting. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Never are, wish for that to happen. Were you the youngest legislator elected to the General Assembly. You were 26 years old. Our team was proud to get elected at 24 years old. 24? That's right. (laughs) Youngest woman still. Um, But really what it means is that young people and new ideas are in the Gold Dome. Okay. Um, And you are joined today by Matthew Wilson. He's a state rep from Brookhaven. Your district, too, kind of sprawls on a north-south axis, doesn't it? It's it's pretty gerrymandered. It's Brookhaven, part of Sandy Springs, part of Chambly, part of two voters in the city of Atlanta, and the land underneath 285 in Dunwoody. You're, all right. <laughs> no voters. <laughs> yeah. You're an attorney? I am. Uh, and you are, how many uh, How many uh, uh, gay and lesbian legislators do we now have at the state capitol? We have five. And there's we're all, five We're of all you. in the state house. And so there's you two, you and Park. Uh, who else is uh, in that group? On the gals team, yeah. we've also got <laughs> Representative Renita Shannon from Decatur, as well as DeKalb Chairwoman Carla Jenner. Okay. And Sam Park from Lawrenceville. Right. Okay. So let's start, Jim Galloway, with some breaking news that happened uh, about the middle of this morning. The Supreme Court is uh, getting down to the last couple weeks of its session, and so they're issuing uh, rulings pretty quickly. It, today, they had another opportunity to act on on public accommodation as as a contrast to religious liberty, another baker, this time in Oregon, who refused to make a custom wedding cake for a lesbian couple who came to him. And as they did in Colorado, well, in Colorado, 
they made a ruling, but they made it on such narrow grounds that it didn't make any, really establish any precedence. Once again, the easiest way to describe this is to say the court took a pass on definitive ruling on gay rights as opposed to religious liberty. Yeah, they kicked the can on the balance between LGBT rights to to walk into a a, a store and to purchase, to rent, to to have a a, a pure business transaction, and the right of a a merchant uh, uh, because of religious uh, reasons to to uh, to refuse that service. What do, what do we make of this, Matthew? At what point do you do you expect that the Supreme Court is going to have to say something more definitive about this whole contrast between so-called religious liberties and public accommodation? Well, I think part of what we can see from the silence of the Supreme Court is that they clearly see a lot of parallels between this and the civil rights movement um, and and the battle really that um, the the civil rights pioneers had within public accommodation mm-hmm. saying, look, if you're going to put your uh, business, your your art, if you consider your cake to be your art, if you're going to put that into the stream of commerce, well, hey, welcome to the community. There are some certain guidelines that we abide by here. Park, you're nodding as you heard him say that. Absolutely, because we've been working on this issue for the past four years that I've been elected and many years before then. This year, though, we had the leader of our caucus pre-file House Bill 19, which explicitly writes sexual orientation and gender identity into public accommodations, but we got no hearing. So we are a little frustrated with the silence um, of legislative bodies and of courts, but as Representative Wilson said, this is something that we'll have to keep pushing on. Jeff? You want to weigh in? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, clearly the Supreme Court is not there yet. Um, I do think it's important uh, to, to recognize that in their next term, uh, so we don't know the dates of when this will be, but I think uh, by June of next year, uh, hopefully we will have decided if uh, current federal law under the provisions of sex discrimination in employment, if that protects uh, people on sexual orientation and gender identity. So we do have a big Supreme Court case coming up to them uh, in the next term. Uh, I think that they you know, clearly are conflicted on this issue of religious exemptions. The important thing that I take away from the ruling is that they have not in any way, shape, or form said that there has to be broad religious exemptions in public accommodations law. And so I would say that in some ways that is a bit of a limited victory at this point in time, especially when you have an administration on the national level that is uh, aggressively pushing this concept of broad religious exemptions as it comes to uh, technically public accommodations, but I would say it'd be more in terms of public services. All right, uh, Bill, before we went on air, we were talking about the uh, another development on this that actually broadens the issue and 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 which might kind of kind of refocus refocus and that is in South Carolina. You know in Georgia, in Georgia we have had we have had some battles over adoption law and and uh, the ability of of certain foster care organizations or adoption agencies to discriminate on the basis of of uh, of uh, sexual orientation. Well, over in South Carolina, they've got a they've got a situation where they've got a, a an adoption law that protects uh, agencies on the uh, when they discriminate on the basis of religion. Uh, you've got you've got agencies that will not deal with Catholic couples or with Jewish couples, and you know that 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 broadens the public accommodation uh, debate to a, to to a to a level where I think a whole lot of people can buy in. Yeah. All right, let's do this. I wanted to mention the uh, Supreme Court uh, decision today, or or non-decision, I guess we can say, and we'll watch to see how it develops. Uh, But let's move on, um, and let's start, Matthew, if I can start with you, because you... You, you contacted me some time ago and said, you know, we've had some real successes on the issues that mattered to our community in the legislature this session. And although there are some real looming problems out there, I think the successes are of interest. And, and as I turn to you on this, l- let me point out something interesting. Some of the things we're going to talk about today, you're, this is you two are Democrats, you and Park Cannon. Um, but we asked a couple of Republicans, Chuck F. Stration and Burt Reeves, uh, to come in today. Neither of them were, were available. But the reason I mention them now is that both of them 
uh, kind of reflect what may be a changing point of view, at least among some Republicans at the General Assembly. You got help from them on some of these uh, issues. So what are, do you think are the most important victories that y- the community got, uh, uh, Matthew? You know, I think first we have to point out that these are these are marginal victories, um, and that is what we're unfortunately used to in the LGBT community um, from the Georgia legislature. But these are these are um, worth celebrating and, and showing sort of where we've come. And first, I think you have to highlight the fact that we really had no real effort to push RIFRA legislation. It really stalled in committee in the Senate, and I think part of that was because of uh, the governor leaning on the bill author and, and the the uh, judiciary chair over there to kill that bill. Do you think that that, that Governor Kemp did not want to see that bill see the light of day? I think so. Okay. Um, you know, and th- this is again, I'm a freshman Democrat, so this is it's, all pure speculation. Uh, I, I would I would agree there, but I would say it was it, it was in in the uh, in in the context of the accompanying heartbeat bill exactly that 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 Kemp didn't want to see both of those. Uh, 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 up in the air at the same time. Right. Yeah, you don't have any reason, Jeff, to think that Rifra is <laughs> gone for good, do you? I don't. I don't. I don't believe that it's gone for good right <laughs> now. But but I certainly would agree with with Representative Wilson that I think that we have seen a real. Uh, turning of the corner, uh, especially in the House. I think that the Senate is a different beast at, at this point in time. Uh, but I think definitely uh, this session at the House, we did see a, a, a turning of the corner. And, and frankly, again, as Representative Cannon had, had mentioned, it's been years in the making. So before we had gotten into this kind of annual debate around uh, religious exemptions, how broad they should be, uh, who gets included, who doesn't get included, uh, we actually, when we were talking about a bill uh, back in 2012, 13, and 14 about protecting state employees against discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. We actually had gotten 19 Republicans uh, on the House side to co-sponsor that bill uh, and every single Democrat. So so that bill was really uh, moving ahead at lightning speed until this divisive issue of, of religion came up. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because I, you know, I kind of keep track of what people are saying on social media. And I, I think it's interesting that the listeners right now uh, seem to think that issues involving this community are partisan one way or the other. That is all Democrat and Republican divide. Park, that's really not the case at this point, is it? Oh, it's certainly not. And even as we brought up the bill that bans abortion, this affects the LGBTQ community as well. For people who are gender nonconforming, for people who are transitioning genders, these are issues of reproductive health. And so we were happy to see another legislative success that Kemp did sign into law, which is House Bill 290. It's a bill that we sponsored to create a pilot program so that if you are not yet living with HIV, you can receive receive services and medication so that your body will never be able to live with HIV, which is called PrEP. Um, And what we hope is that we'll continue to use other small resolutions, like we did House Resolution 822, which honors the Stonewall Inn movement at 50 years, and other resolutions honoring community members that will chip away at the stigma about the LGBTQ community being outside of the rest of the community. Um, PrEP. Talk about PrEP for a minute, Matthew. It's um, because that too, again, that was Kay Kirkpatrick, another Republican who advanced that measure. What does her bill now signed into law do to help uh, fight off HIV, which we know uh, Georgia has a particularly uh, difficult problem? Right. And I think that context is very important for this particular uh, issue because uh, the, you know, Fulton uh, county, but really the metro Atlanta area has what the CDC has called an epidemic of new HIV infections, putting us on, um, uh, you know, on on similar ranking scales to third world Africa. It, it, it's really an um, an embarrassment. There are some zip codes in Atlanta, I know, which have a higher rate of HIV infection than some of the African countries that we tend to stereotypically think are where HIV lives in in the most uh, dominant ways. Now, that's not to say this is a problem that's only in the gay and lesbian community. Far from that at this point. Right. Um, But this, this, uh, this pilot program and the medication at the center of it, PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis is what PrEP is an acronym for. Um, but 
the, the pill is really a wonder drug that is, uh, I believe it's 97 or 98% effective um, at preventing the transmission of HIV. And when you think about, um, you know, in order to stem this tide, we have to prevent new infections, and that's what this, this medication does. It also is, is incredibly um, helpful for um, uh, partnerships where one uh, partner is HIV positive, but the other partner is not. That's um, right. So this is a pilot program. It goes to five counties in the state of Georgia over three years. So we do need a little bit of money in order to do this. And we'll have to go back next year in order to fiscally sponsor this bill. But it a allows for community service boards in North Georgia in the Speakers County and large departments of health like Fulton County to work together to coordinate their strategies when it comes to those who are either becoming HIV positive because they're injecting medication and using same needles or because of sex. Jim, and, and Bill, go ahead, if, if I could just for a moment, sure. I, I think that this, though, is, is really critical. So first of all, you know, I mean, it's it's hats off to Representative Cannon. Uh, she's been really carrying the water on this issue for years, uh, and it shows how she has really matured uh, and become <coughs> incredibly effective as a state representative to be able to work across party lines to push important legislation like the PrEP legislation forward. Um, I do think it also, I'm going to push back a little bit, that, sure. that yes, you know, within Metro Atlanta, it is uh, all communities uh, and demographics that are affected by HIV and AIDS. But it's very specific that we have a horrendous epidemic that is going on amongst young black gay and bisexual men okay. and transgender women of color. And so... Um, Getting a measure like PrEP through the legislature doesn't just begin to bring additional resources to bear on an epidemic that helps all Georgians. So that's critical. It is helping all Georgians. But it is also very specifically helping our community. Okay. Because our community is in the greatest need right now. And I think it shows how HIV as an issue can bridge understanding about our lives, our families, our health, by connecting it to other communities that exist out there to show that LGBT lives and LGBT issues don't necessarily live in a box by themselves over on the side. Thank you for that. Jim? Yeah, if I, if I could build on, on, on I, I think, Matthew's point that, that this, you know, we've got a, this is, we, we've got a bipartisan thing going yeah. over here. We, we've always had a bipartisan thing going. I mean, if you go back to 2004, which is probably the nadir of the LGBT movement in, in Georgia, uh, when, uh, when uh, two-thirds of the legislature voted to put the, uh, the, the uh, 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 ban on same-sex marriage into the state constitution. They, uh, Republicans did that by peeling off Democratic votes. And now we've got this kind of the same uh, uh, over 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 just a period of, of fifteen years a mirror image of that happening because you've got Democrats all on one side on the LGBT issue but you're making some you're you're making a lot of progress especially among young younger Republicans and I guess what, what my my question for 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 you three here is is what's needed to help the GOP come out of that closet if you will, because they're, 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 clearly you have people willing to help you in, in, uh, if, if, if they don't have to come out publicly. I think it shows up in economics. I went to school for liberal arts, but I know that many of those who are focusing on our state's economy are speaking up right now on how if we are to push back and stop the progress for LGBTQ equality and equity, because equity is a whole nother conversation we almost can't even get to yet. Um, you have to hit them in the pockets. And so looking at what happens if the final four decides that they're not coming, what happens if other organizations who are based here are saying we're picking up and moving or we're pushing back on you. So I would say hit them in the pockets. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with it. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, there there was just another business study that came out looking at the business environment here in Georgia from an LGBTQ perspective, and we ended up with again a, a pretty bad score, forty five point three. Uh, we ranked thirty eighth um, out of fifty states. This is from that. Out, Leadership, out Leadership. Which tell us what that organization is very quickly. So yeah, they're they're a national organization, actually a, a, an international uh, organization that works with CEOs, other C uh, suite executives. 
executives uh, uh, looking at, at business and economic issues from an, an LGBTQ lens. Um, so certainly those those business arguments, I think, are important. I think, though, that, that uh, that's only scratching a bit of the surface. I think what you're also seeing is uh, as more... Uh, denominations, faith traditions, um, embrace, uh, actively embrace and affirm the humanity of LGBTQ folks, uh, that that changes perceptions because you then have Republican legislators that are hearing about inclusion uh, in Sundays at the pulpit. Um, I think uh, as well as, uh, you know, seeing the shift that is happening amongst their own constituents because... I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older uh, than uh, uh, the representatives here, but you know, growing up, you know, we not much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, growing up, you know, it it uh, you know it was such a shame on a family to come out, and while that still happens today, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It does still happen today, but. It doesn't happen to the levels it did before, and you're seeing this happen in families in the suburbs, in families in small towns, in families that have Republican elected officials in them. So it's the sons, daughters, uh, brothers, sisters of a lot of the folks down at the Capitol, and more and more it's becoming a very personal issue for them. I think, I think one, one example of that was, uh, I mean, he's not with the legislature anymore, but remember Alan Peake. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, who, who was uh, the state rep out of Macon who was pushing, uh, uh, who, who pushed uh, medicinal marijuana. I mean, his his brother uh, is is, yeah. is gay and is out, and it made it made those votes very very difficult for him. So let's go back. We're going to have to get to a break in a minute. But uh, Jeff, you uh, mentioned the Out Leadership report on the business climate in Georgia, and you sent me a copy of their latest figures. And let me just go to one point on here. As you say, we don't fare very well, but this leads to one conversation I want to have before we go to break in in youth and family support. They, we got about half of the number that you should get. We're at 10.3 out of 20. And the first thing it says is that uh, Georgia does not ban conversion therapy. The programs which attempt to take people who identify uh, as gay, lesbian, uh, uh, transgender, whatever, and convert them into heterosexuality. You've been working on that one, Matthew, and you got further, you got down the road, but not all the way there this last session. That's right. And we saw a lot of bipartisan support, actually. It was um, House Bill 580, a bill that would ban conversion therapy among licensed medical professionals in the state. So if you get your medical license from Georgia, um, you know, this this would ban you from being able to to engage in conversion therapy. And we really had a coalition, not just of the LGBTQ community, but also the medical community. Every major medical association in America has come out against conversion therapy and has taken steps within each of the, the, the different professional groups, the psychiatrists, the psychologists, the social workers, to stop this practice internally. But now they are they have come to state legislatures and they're going state by state asking for laws uh, on the books to, to get rid of this because ultimately it's the state that issues the medical license. And so um, we had a committee hearing uh, in, the, in the House this year. We did not have a vote. I did not ask for a vote. I just wanted a public hearing this year to really get this issue out on the table and, and, and in a, in a lo- sort of lower the stakes a little bit and allow legislators to, to have a free dialogue with the witnesses that we have. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for motivation here. It was, is, is there a liability issue that professionals face when they engage in that kind of behavior? They can, certainly, because if, if, the, profession, if the professional association itself has said, this is not, we do not recognize this as sound medical science, then if you're engaging in that, you're con- you're, you can convince a court that you're engaging in medical malpractice. All right, let's do this. We're, we've got to get to our first break of the show. Obviously, a lot more to talk about. Uh, we'll get to that after a break. This is Political Rewind. Now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need. You'll face the coming months with a fresh start, and by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks.
In the Pacific Northwest, there's growing concern over the number of deaths in county jails. Many of those deaths are from suicide. We have people who are very sick in our facilities and we don't know how to deal with them. And because we don't know how to deal with them, they're dying. I'm Mary Louise Kelly, trying to prevent suicide behind bars this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today here on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. There was one big issue. Jeff Graham, uh, I'm going to play a little sound in a second here, but, you know, Jim Galloway uh, uh, proposed that uh, that we're becoming more and more bipartisan in how we deal with issues that affect the LGBTQ community, and, of course, in many ways that is certainly true. But there are some issues where there really is a partisan divide, for the most part, although it was a Republican who this year sponsored a hate crimes bill that would have included protections for the gay and lesbian community, Chuck Efstration. Let's listen to just a little of what he said when he introduced his bill. Hate can be used as a tool for evil in order to undermine the law and order that we take for granted many times in our society. Then this bill is absolutely needed. If you honestly search your heart and you conclude that you want your children and your grandchildren to grow in a society where overt acts of hate are not tolerated, then this bill is this bill is needed. So, Jeff, this was a breakthrough, and, and here's why. You and I go back a long way on hate crimes issues, back to the days when I was at the Anti-Defamation League. And we both know that for years, legislators told us they would be glad to pass a hate crimes bill if it excluded protections for gays and lesbians because they did not want to codify that. So for a Republican, and those were Republicans mostly who said that, for a Republican now to come forward and propose this bill, it still failed, but I thought that was, the hate crimes bill? Oh, no, no, it passed the House. It's in the Senate. Well, I mean, my point is it failed. Okay, I thank you for that. It's still alive for the next session, the biennial session, but I... Would propose, but the Senate wasn't eager to take it up. Is a better way to say it. Well, but but it is. I mean, again, I think that that uh, of all the issues, that is the one that really shows how far we've come, uh, yeah. at least in the House. Yeah. Uh, and and sexual orientation was was there. Uh, it was also gender uh, was included in that. So it was not the preferred term of gender identity that we would prefer. But clearly, in the conversations we've had at the committee level, uh, as well as just the legal precedent that is there, that that gender uh, is inclusive of transgender individuals as as well. So it, it 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 I think is an important point of this that it was the full LGBTQ community covered through this, uh, and it. It was not as narrow a vote as yeah. I would have anticipated, yeah. to be honest with you. Uh, you know, it, it, it passed with a very comfortable margin. I, you know, frankly, I think that it shows hope for the future. I, it again shows some of the challenges that we face in the Senate. And so uh, this is where I do think, uh, you know, part of the complication is that representation really does matter. That, uh, you know, you've had Carla Drenner mm-hmm. uh, down for 20 years educating folks. And now as we have brought on uh, Renita Shannon and Park Cannon and Matthew Wilson and Sam Park, I, each of them now are on different committees. They are speaking with their colleagues. It gets much harder to see LGBT people as completely other and something that you don't have to deal with when you have to sit in committees with them, when you have to take votes with them, when you have to be in debates with them. And I think, you know, certainly that uh, Representative Wilson and Representative Cannon are, are well poised to speak to that. Well, and I think it's it's interesting, you know, we're sitting here in the context of pride, and in particular this pride is the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall um, uprising. And I, I listened to a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, that talked about how the LGBTQ movement has really covered more ground in shorter period of time than any other really progressive movement that we've seen in our lifetimes. And and part of the reason, the theory of this podcast was, part of the reason was because unlike race or ethnicity, when you look at a person, you can't tell what their sexual orientation is. Um, uh, you, may, you, you may have an inkling of what their gender identity may be. But um, when... when uh, 
the gay liberation movement started and people said, okay, I'm going to come out and, and damn the consequences, whatever they may be. But it's important that people know this is who I am. And you start seeing, you know, the, the, you have gay members in your family. You have transgender members in your church, at, at work. You, you start seeing how pervasive the LGBT community is um, and, and how truly the issues that affect our community truly affect all Georgians. So you're, you're, you may have progress. Who knows what the Senate will do with hate crimes uh, next session, but you know they're, they're much more conservative at this point than the House is. Park, the other thing, though, that we don't have in Georgia is any kind of civil rights bill that protects or law that protects uh, uh, many communities of, of people beyond just the LGBTQ community. And there doesn't to the best of my knowledge, seem to be any progress on that here. Unfortunately, you know, in the House, we have been stalled on this issue. When we break, when we pre-file a piece of legislation, that means that it's one of the first bills that can possibly be introduced and then considered in committee. And so we do see it as being indicative of the chambers or the leadership's ideologies around including LGBTQ people or just people in general um, in public accommodations, in fair housing, in workplace accommodations. And so what we really need is for Georgia, for you to reach out. We need more stories. We need to contextualize this. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about that, Jim, is we hear people say when RIFRA comes up, which it certainly will inevitably do again next session, if and not beyond that. Uh, one of the things that we hear from the advocates of RIFRA is, well, there's already a federal RIFRA law. And it was put in place by a Democratic administration, true enough. But there's also a federal civil rights law that counterbalances that. Georgia has not got that counterbalance. And I think I think every year that that religious liberty legislation comes out, there is an offer from people like Jeff right. uh, to say, okay, we'll do this, mm-hmm. but we want an accompanying uh, we want a, accompanying civil rights protections uh, that will that will give us give us the security that we need and that bargain is never taken up absolutely right. that and or an amendment that has a non-discrimination clause mm-hmm. we would be able to do that there are options that the house and the senate leadership is stalling on and in 2020 we know that voters are going to vote their beliefs First, but second of all, how people who have been elected have been treating them and stalling LGBTQ members of our community out on their ability to work in a place or live somewhere safe um, is not going to bode well. And and I just want to highlight one more bill. Also, the you know the author uh, Chuck Efstration from Gwinnett County who sponsored the hate crimes mm. bill uh, this year. Uh, also sponsored HB 543, which was an equitable caregiver bill. That bill went all the way to the governor's desk, and he signed it into law. Explain to everybody what that does. This bill for um, couples, whether they be married or not, who adopt children, and only and, and only one parent adopts legally adopts the child. Um, and and you know maybe they're they're or together. You have an at the instance time. where you have a biologic parent, correct, and a and, and a non-biologic parent, and a non-biological parent, but where one one spouse does not have a biological right uh, 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 to the child or a legal right because they haven't adopted that child, um, and then if the the marriage or, or relationship dissolves, that person who may have spent twenty years helping ra- raise the child has no legal right or had no legal right um, to 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 that child. And, and now this would allow that person to go to a court and show a court that they have, uh, they, they deserve a right. Jeff, Jim Galloway pointed out on our show last week that that is a victory for, uh, for anybody who has a, a situation with adopted children, including gay couples. Uh, but he also pointed out that Mary Margaret Oliver, who sponsored that legislation, sort of snuck it in under the radar that this, in fact, would be a benefit for gay and lesbian couples. Which it, it, it was assumed this was really about straight couples who have this adoption issue to deal with. Well, I, it, it, it again, I, I think it, it, it echoes what I had said earlier, that uh, you, know, you can have a victory for an LGBT community, 
uh, that can be a victory for other people. There you go. And 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 but <laughs> but and, and it, it is more frankly than a soundbite or a political strategy. It is really true. Oh, and this is this is this, a, is this is a stepfather's bill essentially. Yeah, I mean, I think I yeah, think that's, that's what affects it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go on and uh, quote, go, go ahead and take another point from the out leadership. Uh, report on Georgia's business climate to to get to another issue, Jeff. Work environment and employment, we score, a according to them, a 13 out of 20. Um, And uh, health, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but what I really want to address first is health access and safety, where we're a 5 out of 20. Georgia's state Medicaid system specifically excludes transgender health care, and private insurers are allowed to do the same where do we stand with that? It, it, transgender is the next frontier that we're that the whole country is facing in terms of these rights. Yeah, very very clearly. So you know, as as bleak as it is for gay, lesbian, and bisexual folks, it is more bleak for transgender folks here in Georgia. Um, I you know, there is another organization that does a kind of state-by-state comparison of legislation. And in that uh, movement advancement project is that group. And we actually are one of only six states with a negative score there. And one of the reasons that we have a negative score is that the bar for transgender individuals to change their gender markers on their driver's licenses uh, is higher than it is in the majority of other states. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, that's a basic quality of, not just quality of life issue, it's a life issue. Uh, you have to present your ID to vote. To get your right, the basic right to vote in Georgia, you have to present an ID. And transgender individuals, I, by the best estimate, 90% of them do not have an ID that matches their gender presentation. Imagine what that is like every time you go to a bar and you're and you're asked for your ID, wondering if the server is going to be hostile and discriminate against you. The poll workers, will you be denied your ability to cast a vote? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is a basic issue of life. And we can't even do that for the transgender community. So right. yes, it is clearly the next area. Matthew? I was just going to provide an anecdote, a, a perfect story that illustrates this. You know, we, we, we've, we've been talking about uh, 481 and the anti-abortion uh, fallout and really how Georgians are, 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 are repulsed at how the state now is controlling the bodies of women, right? But essentially they're Well, doing, how some people, some let's people, be careful some about people. this. Uh, but but that's exactly what what the law does for transgender uh, individuals to be able to change their gender markers. I belong to the Stonewall Bar Association, which is the Gay Lawyers Association here um, in Georgia. And uh, last year, we recognized we gave an award to two uh, transgender. Uh, young adults, they were in their early 20s in college, um, who both had sought to change their name uh, in Augusta. Uh, the judge um, would not let them change their name because uh, he said, you look like um, a woman, and I, I don't care if you want a male name. Right. That's that's confusing. We're not going to let you do that. That was later overturned by the Court of Appeals, but we these these two individuals made new law in Georgia. We tried to we, we gave them an award for that, but between the time that we uh, gave them an award and we had the dinner, one of those individuals um, had a hysterectomy, a gender reassignment surgery, and and died because of it. This is when we require individuals to have surgery like this. We we are literally putting their lives at risk, and it costs this 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 particular person her life. So I want to take a step back from the legalities of all this and talk about this on a cultural level. And I recognize that at any minute, I, as I ta- as I give you my statement, one of you may get up and want to kick me out of the studio. <laughs> Matthew said a while ago that there's, and Jim, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, it, 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 well, all of you, really, but so, Matthew, you said a little while ago that there's very few issues of social justice that have moved as quickly as has LGBTQ issue. I mean, the fact that gay marriage is now the law of the land is a remarkable thing. It's turned very quickly. Um, I mean, it strikes me that it was 10 years ago that people were still very uncomfortable with all of this. And I wonder if transgender issues, if 
having accomplished um, gay marriage, if suddenly when the frontier turns to transgender uh, individuals and their rights and their needs, if there doesn't need to be a cultural movement that understands what that's like, I didn't get that. I now have three friends whose children are transgender and are going through uh, sex changes. Until that, this was a completely foreign landscape to me. So I wonder, Jim, do you get what I'm saying? That sometimes it's the, the culture and the laws have to move in some kind of parallel way. It's not a question of denying rights to all people, but we as a society need to... The, the temperature. We've got to understand what's happening. Yeah, no, I will agree that it happens. I mean, my daughters have have transgender friends. You know, and it's not a big deal. I can't remember that I had one uh, growing up. But on the other hand, I would also say that 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 as a concept, transgender is 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 far has a history of hundreds of th- hundreds of years more acceptance than than straight LGBT uh, acceptance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back to Shakespeare, and it's it's hard to find a play that doesn't engage <laughs> in in gender swapping roles, especially the comedy. Yep, Park. I would agree with you, Jim, because what we've seen is that whether you are transgender or not, when there is a community around you that is able to say this is who you are and to stand up for you when you are coming to the state capitol and showing your state ID to enter, if my staff person who I'm the only legislator who has a trans person on my staff. If she greets you at the front desk, you feel a little bit different. You feel a little bit more safe. And there's a community of culture around you in which you know whether or not the pitch in your voice sounds the way that the state trooper wants to hear, you are validated. What we also know is that there are so many cultures around the world that already understand gender fluidity. These are Native American groups who have, of course, existed well before many Anglo people did in America. These are Indian groups that understand their own beings of religion, their own goddesses and gods are of two spirits. I don't have to go across around the world, Jeff Graham, to find this. My 22-year-old daughter talks about gender in language that I, it's taken me a long time to understand. Uh, but you get, you have always been someone who understood the need for society to catch up on these. Yeah, things. and and, and, and uh, you know, I, I actually think your your point about culture is is very valid. But I actually think that that is happening. Oh, I do too. I, I, you know, I just it's, think it takes it's, it's time. in it's in yeah. it's in uh, big and public ways. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, you know, for a mainstream America, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is probably yeah. the best example of that. So, a sports hero that so many of us that are a little bit older grew up with, uh, in some ways, of the epitome of masculinity, to realize that Caitlyn had been living her entire life as a lie. Yeah. Um, and and to then see kind of the backlash that she went through uh, as she transitioned uh, in a very public way. But you, you have uh, shows like Pose that are very popular, uh, that are more firmly rooted uh, in all aspects, from uh, the writers and the directors to the performers and clearly the stories of the transgender community. And I think to, I and not just the transgender community, but specifically uh, transgender women of color in New York in the 80s. And it's a different way of framing uh, you know, the important history of HIV and AIDS in this country by focusing in on a group of people that were s- left, left behind, left out of the stories as we were telling All them. Right, I got to get to a break, but Matthew, to go back full circle on this, it seems to me that we might say that the advances made by the uh, gay and lesbian community in, under- in people understanding and accepting are making the our understand our ability to reach out and say we understand transgender individuals m- much more uh, the progress can come more quickly i think so too and and i think part of the uh, 
hesitation that does remain um, among a lot of people who may not know transgender individuals is the the fear of being politically incorrect yeah. and, and and offending someone. And you've really just got to set that aside and just lean in and with your curiosity and ask the questions. Um, and as long as you're coming from a place of curiosity and acceptance, you're always going to be received well. Got to take a final break. The show when we come back. I'd love to talk about Stonewall Inn uh, for a few minutes because that's where it all really began moving the culture forward. This is Political Rewind. On the next Fresh Air, the unique medical needs of older adults. Terry talks with geriatrician Louise Aronson, author of the new book Elderhood, about what it means to live longer and to be on more medications. Aronson describes the challenges of helping elders in her own family and flaws in the current health care system. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB and gpbnews.org. My name is Daimundus Papadopoulos. I am the medical director at Metroderm. Metroderm is a dermatology slash dermatologic surgical practice in Atlanta with 18 providers. I wanted to participate in underwriting for public radio. The integrity of what I was listening to made me feel like I wanted to be part of that message and that represented us and it was something I felt very positive about doing. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway with me because it's Monday. Uh, Park Cannon and Matthew Wilson, two state representatives from Brookhaven. In Matthew Wilson's case, Park Cannon is in Atlanta. And Jeff Graham, the director, executive director of Georgia Equality. Um, We're coming up on a big anniversary, Jeff. June 28th, 1969, the Stonewall Police. It's it's called a riot, and essentially it was a police action that was met with force. Tell us just a bit about what was Stonewall and why it was so important. Yeah, so for close to 100 years uh, in New York City and, frankly, everywhere around the country, it was uh, illegal for uh, LGBT folks to gather, to gather publicly, to gather in people's homes. And it was not uncommon for police to take action. These raids happened on a regular and consistent basis. It was clearly harassment of the community. By the moral squad. By the moral squad. And and, and what's really important for folks to know is that this was not just being rounded up and having to bail out. Uh, Folks who got caught up in these raids, their photos were published in newspapers, Mm -hmm. their families and employers were notified. Uh, This often left uh, to people losing their jobs, being disgraced from their families, and in who knows uh, how many instances it actually led to suicide because folks felt that that was their only option. And so uh, on June 28th, in the early uh, mornings, uh, led primarily by uh, trans women of color, drag queens, uh, young sex workers, the most marginalized of the marginalized, the police came to round them up. Stonewall Inn was a dive. It was a, a dive bar. dive, but it became the center of gay activity <laughs> That's right. in New York. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and they fought back and they did not go peacefully. They were still arrested, but they did not go peacefully. And so then folks gathered the next night and the crowd grew and the next night and the crowd grew over the next six nights. The crowds grew in New York City. And so that became an important point of resistance. There had been actions, there had been organizations building for 15 years before that. And that history is important to recognize as well. Uh, We had 15,000 federal employees that lost their jobs during the Lavender Scare uh, of the 50s and the 60s. But this sparked a movement. What what were some of the leaders? Uh, Who were some of the leaders that grew out of Stonewall? Uh, you know, it's uh, Sylvia, Sylvia Rivera, Rivera. Uh, the Gay Liberation Front, the Gay Liberation Front. Uh, it it was really that people continued to organize. I think that that's mm-hmm. where it became an important function. And and we don't do a good job of honoring our heroes, honoring our heritage. I think a lot of the names are lost, unfortunately, to to history. Uh, but I uh, people gathered the next year. To recognize that. And that's when we really knew we had a movement that was going on. And that's what the Pride celebrations started as, which now happens around the world. And it happens at different times of the year. So Atlanta's Pride celebration is now in October during LGBTQ History Month. uh, And when it's a little bit nicer to be outside uh, for for two days. Uh, But there's a spirit of June 
that is now embraced by corporate America to kind of get back a little bit to the corporate culture. Uh, I do so many speaking engagements. My entire staff, our organization, is out really interacting with folks to tell the story of Stonewall, but more importantly, to talk about what is going on in our community today. Park, Stonewall was... I have heard people say, uh, in fact, there's a documentary on PBS about Stonewall, and one of the people interviewed who was at Stonewall on that first night said, uh, in many ways, it was like the the moment when Rosa Parks said, I will not sit in the back of the bus. Absolutely, and we're still doing it today, which is why I'm so proud that we're talking about Stonewall here in Georgia, because we've had similar things happen. The Atlanta Eagle was raided in the 90s and 2000s. People were still coming back to say this is what happened to us. This is why we fight for our equality and we bring our visibility forward because whether or not we perish or are harmed by those who do not believe that we deserve the right to live full and healthy lives, we are still going to put ourselves on the front line. And we want you to bring that to the state capitol. We know that we have not yet been able to host um, a major event, but we did commend the Stonewalls um, uprising in state law this year. Galloway, I love the way that Park can't, nobody's ever used this show quite the way to like rally people to turn out. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. This, this but is, she's I, enthusiastic. I think I, just, I think I just heard a message uh, that, 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 that someone wants to use Liberty Plaza. Yeah. Uh, for uh, a, well, let me, Matthew, I have to share with you my, I mentioned my daughter, my 22-year-old a few minutes ago. She called me right before we came on the air. I said, we're going to talk about Stonewall Inn. She lives in New York. She just sent me a photograph. She went to the Stonewall Inn, which today is a very dressed-up looking place. It's got a big sign above it that says, proudly pouring the Stonewall Inn IPA. (laughs) So Emma just sent that to me a few minutes ago. Well, and the Stonewall Inn is now a national park. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is now now part of our national heritage, uh, which, I, I, again, I can't begin to express as, as a gay man of a certain age, um, to know that we are part of the national story, which we should be. Jim Galloway, uh, it's really remarkable for, for you and me, too. I mean, we've been around for a very long time at the Capitol to see, again, the bipartisan changes that have happened to a community that struggled for so long to get uh, recognized as as deserving. I mean, of it's, all it's, these it's you know, in political terms, it's it's for me, it's been like a lightning strike. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, I I was there uh, back in the early two thousands, and it was you know, it was, uh, you know, I have had Carla Drenner sit in front of me and 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 tell me about. Uh, uh, People, people refusing to get into elevators with her mm-hmm. I got, uh, back in the day. So the changes of... I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I'm really running out of time. Real quickly, one of you let me know about this. We've uh, Melita Easters comes in here as a Democrat, talks about recruiting women to run who are pro-choice, Democratic women. Uh, Julianne Thompson comes in, talks about trying to recruit uh, Republican women to run for the legislature. What about recruiting uh, gay, lesbian, transgender candidates to run for the legislature? Is there a <laughs> similar movement? you got about 10 seconds to tell yes, me. Yes, absolutely. It, it happens. Uh, it's incredible important. Uh, A lot of it is happening on the local level, uh, school boards, city councils, county commissions, uh, but it is also happening at the state legislature and the state senate as well. We are completely out of time. Atlanta Pride is October 13th. Happy Pride, everyone. Now somebody else using the show to get a crowd turned out. Matthew Wilson, Park Cannon, Jeff Graham, Jim Galloway, I'll see you again on Political Rewind on Friday, and I'll see the rest of you here tomorrow at 2 for another edition of our show. Take care. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.